was thinking about you and thinking about all of the incredible things you've done and the really unique path you've taken. And this word kept coming to my mind, which was relationships. And that I really think of you as someone who is skilled at relationships and in many ways has like crafted your career around it. Would you say that that's true? I think that is true. I think the reason why I think that resonates is because the through line or the sort of the bridge that got me from one job to the next or one career to the next or one industry to the next was always through a relationship that I had. But the interesting thing about it is it wasn't a long-standing relationship. It was always like a moment that it was like an encounter that then in that connection at the right time. And this is where sort of the Stephanie is like witchy woman. It's like just an instinct around that that was a bridge to a portal of a different chapter. And they'd like take the door. I even think about that with JP Morgan, with Beats, with Will I Am, with even sort of the fashion platform that I was working in the last two years and certainly with Clubhouse. It's always like I have an individual that I encounter who tells me to open the door and it feels like the right time to open the door and I take the door. You're someone who's not afraid to open the door. First and foremost, a lot of people know there's the door they could walk through or there's a moment of realization like I could take this path. What do you think gives you the courage to be able to walk through them? I don't think it's courage. I think it's curiosity. Tell me more. I think it's because I've always seen myself as someone who could play many roles and could sort of has many facets and is sort of capable of and wanting, not even capable. I've wanted to have this full human experience. And therefore it feels like, and this is sometimes to a fault. I feel like there's a, like a mm-hmm. ticking time. It's like, feels time to see what the next chapter looks like. Encounter person A, door presents mm-hmm. itself. I think it's curiosity, but in a way that also presents the excitement, not curiosity from a cerebral standpoint. It's more curiosity from, uh, it feels exciting. Like I think people's motivations are very different. I have a forum group that I spend a lot of time with and it's been so interesting getting to know people's different people's motivation. And there's some people like, I just want to win. And I'm like, I don't care about winning as long as I, as I feel like the experience is worth it before I move on to the next chapter. You know, like if the chapter just has to feel cleanly close. What's your motivation? I don't know if I could answer that. Like I said, I think I have this idea. I don't know if I ever describe myself as a storyteller, but I live my life according to stories I tell myself. And I think that I'm always trying to live the stories that I have about myself in my head. And so I think the motivation is to create the biggest, best, beautiful, most, you know, crazy story. And I think that's it. Like, it's like the hero's journey, but like in a real life, like I'm, I'm on the odyssey and if it's not interesting enough. I'm ultimately <laughs> the creative director of my story. I'm a creative director. Yeah. I'm in charge. So if I don't like my story, let's make it more interesting. Let's make it more deep. But then that also puts you in a place of like, when the antagonist enters the scene, you're like, oh shit, I brought them here. This is me, I created this. What a romantic way to look at life and work, which ultimately on the Fahrenheit podcast and the whole reason I started this podcast in general was I always felt like they were non-binary. I never could compartmentalize well my life and my work. I felt like when I tried, I was living two worlds and constantly at odds with each other. And it really wasn't until I started bringing myself fully in who I am to work every day that I actually started to feel like I was successful in however you define that. But for me, started to feel like, okay, I'm in a flow and like something's happening here. 
you're someone who I think has always been, at least since I've known you, unabashedly you. Has that served you in your work? Do you think that that is sort of like a secret sauce of Steph Simon? I think it 100% serves me in developing relationships with people. Because that's this core of authenticity that people see and meet. And I like, yes, I think it can be challenging when you're working alongside people or vis-a-vis people. And it's sort of this friction of like, like the cliche of like, do artists belong in companies or sort of how can they fit? Which is like, really, I think at the, at the end of the day, what you're saying is like, can this way of being authentically yourself and sort of like being an emotion and unapologetically emotional human, a visceral human, it's not always served me in the short term. Like it definitely ended my chapters abruptly, but ultimately it served me because that's my truth. Like if I'm not doing that, then I also feel like I'm like in a way that you can only do that you hear maybe other people describe. I just feel very, it's like it's a sad life if I'm not living it fully expressed. If I'm not living like fully expressed, it's a sad life for me. That's something that doesn't come or didn't come as easily for me as I feel like it did for you. And I actually remember one of like my favorite memories of you was you and I had just really been hanging together for the first time. We were in Joshua Tree and we drove around in a car, like singing songs and talking about our love but life. I was just singing songs. It was not your game where you're like, this is what we do. We're going to like play a song and we get to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to play a song. This was actually a game. I was in Brazil for Michael Kors. And one of my colleagues at Michael Kors, her family was having a wedding that weekend. And because I was visiting Brazil, they were like, you obviously have to come. Like, you're not sitting in town by yourself, so come to the wedding. And on the way to the wedding, the the, the family, these beautiful women of three, four different generations were playing this game where every time you played a song, you had to talk about what that song meant to you and why it was relevant in your life. And so you and I got to know each other on such a personal and intimate level. And I think your authenticity left an imprint on me. And it was something that actually at that time of my life, I was having a much harder time navigating and finding and being than I do now. I'm in a place right now and I'm very grateful to be temporarily because all feelings are fleeting, but like temporarily in a place where I feel very comfortable just being myself. It's like I have so many other things to worry about. I finally have given myself the gift of like not caring or being consumed with what other people think. But I think that in business and in life, that's a really hard skill. It's a really hard skill to try and figure out. And, you know, listen, the people listening to this podcast are what we like to call hungry. They're hungry for more life, success, accomplishments, to be a better mom, entrepreneur, creative, kayaker. It doesn't matter, but it's people who are seeking more. And so much of what we've been uncovering is that like the more actually starts very foundationally and fundamentally with you. And showing up as you is a really key part of that. I think what struck me from what you shared is that, and Simon Sinek is a good friend of mine, and we were on a hike recently, and we were talking about this ability to live with whatever. And I was like, you know, I found that (laughs) at this stage and thinking that that was somehow unique. And he was kind of like, it made me laugh. And he was like, yeah, no shit. Because you became the boss. You didn't have to. Like, this is interesting, like, even about your journey, right? Is that you now are the owner and founder of Fahrenheit. If you're not being you, then like, what else is anyone buying into? Yeah. You know, what is anyone buying into? And that's always so interesting when he said it to me. It's like you can tell you the Stephanie story that like you've always, but I, I haven't always been this way either because of the roles that I sort of, well, I have been, but like I said, there was this like friction of 
itself and which is why it would come to a head in interesting ways. But I think to your point that you just made, I think it does start with like a sense of comfort in your skin, but not in a sense of like, oh, I, I feel comfortable, but more like this is the, the armor is then that, that comfort, you know, it's just like once you're then in the armor of like, this is me, you do feel much more impenetrable as you're moving through spaces and you present ideas and you ask for the job or you ask for the thing because you're like, you have this armor of knowing that you're, you're in yourself and there's like protection somehow and like confidence there, I think. You, like me, have had like a pretty interesting journey, I think, professionally and mm. personally. My line was never a straight one. I'm still figuring out what I want to be when I grow up. But where I'm at currently has taken many shifts and turns. I see you as someone that has used and cultivated relationships in an incredible way, even now to what you're doing at Clubhouse on this really incredible ride that I feel pretty grateful to even be able to watch from afar. It's all about relationship building. It's all about connection. But it wasn't always as maybe literal as it is now. How did you get here? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's well said. Not a career path. It's like a career jungle gym is what I always refer to it as. <laughs> and then like, I'm now at the point where I finished the jungle gym and swung out and had this amazing net catch me. And it was like the best thing. Like, right out of school, I was a lawyer. So I was in a Monet and securities lawyer in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's like my favorite fact <laughs> about you. Yeah. <laughs> Under well, that hat. The thing about it is like when people are like so shocked and then there are moments when I deeply resonate with it because of how I need to find order in the way either an idea is presented or whether someone has fully finished a sentence. Like the one number one thing you learn in law school is like to answer with because and, and ask why. Because like, those are two things that most people don't do, right? You never say that, 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 because, or when someone responds with an answer, you don't go, but why is that? And that's law school, right? So anyway, I find that that has carried with me, even though I'm not a lawyer anymore. And then after that, yeah, I, um, personal sort of like shift in life and got a divorce, moved to New York and was a private banker, JP Morgan. And I think that was around the time that I met you was a banker for, you know, five years. And I think it's still to this day the longest job I've had. Which is like, that's why- You should look at that. Yeah, you should maybe look at that, you know? That was such an education. And you know, growing up in Oklahoma, in a small town in Oklahoma, J.P. Morgan, I always joke that like J.P. Morgan, um, a lot of people say, oh, it's my MBA. I'm like, like, it truly was where I understood and learned uh, power dynamics in a way of not just like power dynamics of a corporate structure and politics. That's not what I mean. I truly mean like you're at the epicenter of power in the world from a wealth perspective, from an access perspective, from a, you know, even just in the scale of the building and you walk in and your four inch heels and your suit, like it was really like a moment in time that I really flourished in and I did love and for that moment of time. And so then that ended, I took a hard left, moved to Los Angeles, I was looking to get into venture capital because I felt like the more like personality driven finance, which is like, that was a story in my head. Finance with like a flair. Finance with a flair, right? <laughs> I was in Los Angeles, invited to an event. Um, a friend was like, oh, wow, you're looking for a job. I didn't know you love JP Morgan. I was like, oh, you should, why don't you come to meet my boss? This was Jason White at the time, who was this sort of VP of marketing at Beats. And I was like, oh, for what job? And he's like, I don't know, but like, I feel like you would, I was like, okay. So I go and I meet with Omar Johnson, who's the CMO and Jimmy Iovine. 
And I was still to say one of the strangest things, like strangest encounters as far as a job interview, because I entered the Pizza Budget headquarters. They're like, oh, just wait here. Jimmy and Omar are in a meeting. I was like, okay, cool, cool. Five minutes later, they're like, okay, yeah, you can go up to Jimmy's office. They're ready for you. But the thing is, I didn't really have that sense of like, oh God, these people are like signing out to the music industry, whatever. Because I'm like, whatever, I came from, I know what power is. I know what money is. I was just there. I like put my nose up against the window and was like, no, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So when I walked in the meeting, it was like 10 people in there. And they're each having their own individual meeting with Jimmy Ivey. Literally, it's like, Jimmy's having a meeting with this person. Jimmy's having a meeting with this person. Jimmy's having a meeting with this person. And like, he kind of like, I see him kind of look up at me and Omar looks at me and like tells me to like, sit on the couch so like I'm sitting there in the meeting I'll never forget that he's like some guys like so for that Kanye spot what do you think about this song and he's like listening to it for a second and then they show the video and I'm just kind of like patiently waiting wondering what the hell's going on and then he looks at me and he's like hey what did you think and I'm like me what did I think about that and I was like I guess this is some sort of test I don't know what's happening here but sure here's my thoughts about that like why what's the timeliness around the Kanye spot like why Kanye now that song okay and then he was like, okay, great. And then Omar nodded at me again and like to leave the room. So I like left the room and they're like, all right, so you want to, you want to come and run influencer marketing at Beats by Dre? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. So that was that job. One funny anecdote. So I don't even know if you know this, but you were, you were working in that job and I got recruited by Jason White and I came out to the office and I met with Omar <laughs> and I met with Jimmy Iveen. And I went through the exact same, although I think my Jimmy Iveen meeting happened at the house. Oh, at his house. At his house. And I went with Jason and Omar and Jimmy to the house and got the same test. They're just in a meeting talking about something. And we're like, what do you think? And by the way, same as you, I had on an armor. I was like at Michael Kors with like an unlimited budget, top of the game in social media, being like, why am I even here? Was fearless in my approach. Same thing happened. Answered the question, got a nod to leave. I was like, where am I supposed to go? The driveway? I had an Uber (laughs) drop me off. Like, I don't live here. In the end, I decided not to take the job, although I have a lot of love for Beats. But I remember hearing about this girl, Steph, who was just crushing the game. Before we keep going on your story, do you think that part of why you really nailed that job was your lack of knowledge of how to do it? Well, I think it was that I took a different approach to it. But I also think I approached it with real humility around the fact that I was surrounded by sort of individual, like I was sort of the head of influencer marketing, whatever that means, which is really managing our stable sort of of endorsements and sponsorships. But within that, there was people who'd been working in the music industry for 10, 15 years that knew the labels, that knew the musicians. But then I had like the sports guys that like built their careers at Nike. And like, I'm sitting in this role and I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I know because I have a strategic brain and I kind of see that there's, you know, someone that's maybe been in sports forever and sort of worked at Nike forever just wants to get the execution of the campaign right versus going, okay, but wait, why are we using LeBron to market a product that we want soccer moms to embrace? Or like if we're ready to expand beyond the 17 to 25 year old male, why are we doing the same thing? Like, I think I just approached it with a different, but I also had real humility. And to this day, I, I remember that moment is like, I don't think I'd do that again. I think it was amazing that I was given the opportunity, even with Clubhouse, like I've now been here from the beginning and we'll just get forward to that. I've been here since May 
the company started in March. I received my invite in April. I was one of the first, you know, 500 users. I became obsessed. I've now matriculated to sort of like, not I, but we, as a person who's been here and earned my stripes and birthed this baby, like, I wouldn't want someone to just come in and kind of come in and be like, why are you guys doing it this way? Like, I think I have a different level of appreciation because I've never grown up within anything. I'd always kind of come in the side door. And so I think that was a real lesson in leadership, I think, for me, that I would never want that as a person who earned their stripes. I think what's interesting is some of the leaders that I admire the most are the ones that have humility and have done the job. Obviously, Fahrenheit is a tiny little baby scale compared to the companies that we're talking about, but I've done every single job at the company. And when I first started, it was just me on my own doing everything that every single person at my company now does. So I have a deep understanding and compassion for the journey and the work that they have to do every day. And I think it gives me a bit of an edge. And now there's really no job that I wouldn't do first before I hire for it. And by the way, it's wonderful when you recognize what job you shouldn't do. I'm so proud of myself for running finance for two years. But the day I hired my all things accounting finance genius named Sean, who I literally live for and I'm obsessed with, was the day that I recognized I can do this. I know how to run it. I know everything that I need to know about it as a business, but my time is actually better spent somewhere else. And this is when I start to scale. And having the humility, I think, is really important, or at least for certain leaders. I find it to be a trait that I look up to and admire. Yeah, I don't think it's the only way. I mean, look, I certainly have a career background that one could make an assumption that I could do most jobs. But I think the truth is, like, I shouldn't be doing most jobs. And I have embraced more and more as I've gotten older. While you can be incredibly intelligent and strategic, I very much approach things as a creative. The way I'm, like, sort of unstructured and getting to the right answer. I hate, I can't get to the right answer if it's through a structured process. And I think all those things is sort of like, I really embrace that. And I think Clubhouse has been, I think because, you know, as you said, it's sort of been a culmination, right? It's been a culmination of all my networks for sure. That was like the number one thing that they were like, yeah, we want you to do this job because they knew what one person at an early stage company could try and attract creators from literally any industry and probably relate and from every many countries, right? Because that had been my story. I'd been in four different industries. I'd lived in three different countries. I enjoy running in a room with successful billionaires as much as I do with like really interesting artists who nobody knows their name. Like, And so I think that range, if you will, definitely culminated in a way of Clubhouse. But it also, I also in some ways was like a true creative in the sense that I was like a radio show host. Like I'm every Sunday morning, I'm a radio show host on Clubhouse. That's not what we call it. But like, uh, sometimes I feel like good morning Vietnam. I'm like, good morning Clubhouse. Like, here's what we got. Woo. Yeah, but, it, but in a sense of like, in a way that I've known I was creative, but some of the other social media or other outlets that you sort of platforms, they were somewhat, but like Clubhouse was always a place that like the skill set is understanding the alchemy of a room or the alchemy of the stage as it is on Clubhouse and understanding how to move a conversation between people and not being the focus, not being the, the source of gems. And that's why this is a really interesting thing for me because I actually more enjoy getting the gems out of other people and making sense of the stories being told, not through the first person, but as the, through the observer that's clarifying it for the purpose of the group. And so I think that was another thing. It was like, oh, Clubhouse is where I should have lived always. So interesting because it comes right back to this idea of relationships, which is you yourself are this natural 
relationship builder, connector, and the platform that you are now dedicated to inherently is about people connecting in a new form and in a new medium and in a new space and way than we ever have before. And what I find to be so fascinating about Clubhouse, and for anyone who's not on Clubhouse, get on it. Get on it because Farron can get you an invite. She can get you an invite. (laughs) I know a gal. I know a gal. But what I find so fascinating about Clubhouse that at least from an outside perspective feels different is the relationships. It is the people really connecting and the way they are connecting that one just feels so authentic to you. And I mean, and literally, if you were an early adopter, Steph's face was like actually the icon of the app for a <laughs> that was for a period of time. Because otherwise, that makes me yeah. seem, like, seem like the biggest narcissist ever. <laughs> yeah. Before, before she was an employee, yeah. why do you think people are connecting in such a unique way on Clubhouse? It's so different than what they have been able to connect on previously, other than in real life, and the fact that it feels like in real life, but with a sort of access points and intersections that could never be replicated in real life because either the bias of their own personal social circles or the bias of their where they live geographically or whatever it is like it's like all the great things about what the internet promised which was this like access Mm -hmm. to information and access to people around the world and access to ideas but through voice, which is like far more human and actually provides this sort of like lubrication to actually provide you know, and, and make relationships. Like I think I was thinking back to um, last weekend here in, in New York in Central Park, there was like a meetup of like 250 clubhouse people that were like met in clubhouse. And I was thinking like, I'm sure there was some version of that, like maybe with Twitter where people kind of like became friends, but like, I'm pretty sure not because you really become friends with some people that you, because you sort of meet, you know, over time. And that's part of, you know, the beauty of it is like, it's different than Facebook because Facebook started with an idea of like wanting to connect you with people you already knew through your friends. And I think Clubhouse is not designed around that concept. It's designed around wanting to create spaces and each in a space like that with you and myself and let's say two other people there's edges to discovery there. There's edges to discover new ideas and new other people because when you bring three friends to a party, that's how I get introduced to new friends, right? And this is where the same ideas, and that's only because of the group format. And so I think these relationships, like the point, like why is it really resonating with people? I think because it feels old and new. It feels familiar. It feels really familiar in that the voice is very comforting and emotional and vulnerable and emotive and all these things, but it feels new in that it's not possible for the most part in real life. We're often taught, and certainly in the industries where you grew up in, in your career, we're often taught to separate our emotions and our feelings from the workplace. And yet what's happening on Clubhouse, and I think in a lot of spaces, but particularly on Clubhouse, is this sensitive, open, vulnerable, raw, real communication method between, quite frankly, in some cases, strangers, and in some cases, people you admire, and in some cases, people you know. Mm -hmm. How important is being vulnerable to building relationships? Maybe the most important. I think someone, one of our engineers and I were talking about this, and he was like, you know, I know your superpowers, like you can create it. It's like you can create intimacy with relationships with people in like less than five minutes. And I'm like, yeah, literally, yeah, I was like, yeah, I think that's true. And he's like, why do you think that is? Do you ever get afraid that you're going too deep too quickly? And I was like, well, 
No, because I think part of emotional intelligence or relationship building is not just knowing you can go there, but when you go there, that's sort of the secondary part. But I think the vulnerability is the most important part because it's that I see in you something that I want to see in me. You know, I think before the Me Too movement, my favorite quote from a client when I was at JP Morgan was like, the two most powerful words in the English language is me too. Like, I feel that I see you. Yes. And so I think being able to, and this goes back to what we were just talking earlier about authenticity. It's like a combination of like authenticity and vulnerability. You got those two things, that's your playbook. For like a founder or an entrepreneur out there who's just getting started and who's trying to create community and build relationships, which are the same thing and also different things. Because if you're looking at it through the lens of trying to build your business, you might be trying to create a community for your brand, for your organization, for your services. Part of how you do that is build authentic relationships or how you can do that. But then there's also the relationships that will impact you along the way. What's the first step towards being authentic and vulnerable? Where would someone begin who maybe is struggling with what I believe comes so naturally to you? I'm not someone that thinks that that's like someone coming to me and saying, Stephanie, they wouldn't say this to me because I'm not. They're like, you're so good at creating frameworks that everyone can work through. And it's like, how could I do that? It's like, this is what you do. I don't know if there's always a playbook. So I like when I say there's a playbook, these are two major components. So let's just assume as a baseline that the audience we're referring to has the baseline and is comfortable being vulnerable and is comfortable being sort of authentic, right? Like you've moved past the stages that you were saying took you a little minute to get to. Let's say we're all working towards that place and we're in that place. Then I think sort of the first step, it almost all, you know, anything you say is like, you can't actually work on your relationship until you work on yourself. And so same, same, right? Like the two things that I'm describing, which is our authenticity and vulnerability to get to a relationship with someone else is sort of recognizing and and reconciling that internally. So while I might've been good younger, even as a young age, as sort of relationship, because I relied on charisma. I relied on charisma to make relationships when I was younger, but now it's a different sense of like wisdom and authenticity and, and vulnerability. So I don't know. I think if you ask me like, what's the first step? I think the first step is like, it's also like a bit of grace, maybe now that I'm thinking about it, because I think when so many young people are so eager to just get to the place of how can I win or how can I create the relationships that will help me be great with my company that will help me. And I think it's really like you have to deeply care about the person that you're trying to create a relationship with, not make it transact. And so that's what I think I deeply care about people, not because I'm like Jesus, because I'm like curious. I'm deeply curious about what makes someone else tick. I'm deeply curious what makes them move. I'm deeply curious about why they react in one way or the other, or I'm watching their face all the time. Like I'm deeply curious about them. And so I think even if let's just assume if you're trying to feign excitement or interest in someone, think maybe think through a different lens, which is like, be really curious about them. And the truth is most people will read that as a sort of being like vulnerable and sharing. And that's just me being super honest. But I think like, at the end of the day, we want people to know about us too. So like approach it with sense of curiosity, but coming from a place where it reads with grace. We had Jesse Israel on the podcast recently. What a gift. And Jesse said something that's really actually been on my mind. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And like you, I think that I have a deep level of awareness talking about like an abnormal path. I went to acting school. I went to NYU Tisch and I studied acting and while I woke up one day a few years later and was like, I have no interest in actually pursuing this, I spent three years studying how you react to behavior 
acting is reacting. It is watching another person, they're understanding the way they're thinking, understanding the character and how it thinks. So you are really basically studying human nature and psychology for most of acting school. And so I think it gave me an understanding of self-awareness, of awareness of the room, how to read the room. And it's made me a great talker. Because if you know, or you think you know what motivates the person on the other end of the conversation, like you, I think the earlier days of my career, I was building relationships on charm. That really resonated with me. It was like charm, charisma, maybe competency is like another abused behavior of mine. But Jesse talked a lot about building community and approaching community, not from a place of what you want to receive, but what you can give to the community. And I think curiosity is an interesting framework. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is like, how do I focus in any moment on what I'm giving? Because if I'm not focused on what I'm going to get, which is natural human behavior. And by the way, if you're an entrepreneur building your business brick by brick and you are slaving away and hustling away for every customer, by all means, you should be receiving. But what if you reframed every moment saying, what can I actually give to this person, to this moment, this relationship, this connection? It totally changes the dynamic. And it just really reminds me of curiosity. And I think what you're talking about in terms of Clubhouse and going on the platform every day being able to help others weave their story and understand what they're trying to communicate. That is a gift that you have that you're giving. Yeah. But I think also this is sort of one of the things that sets Clubhouse apart because in Clubhouse, the creators, and we call anyone that opens a room a creator, the creators who excel on Clubhouse. And it's usually they people will say, it's like a community first, community first, which are really like, uh, is a summation of what you're saying, which is the creators who excel they lead with a sense of abundance, not scarcity, not like, what can I get? Or how can I show everyone how important I am or smart I am or how to, but instead they're truly trying to give and they're creating the space for the group to receive. And like, I always say that like, that is something that's so unique is I find that the, the creators on Clubhouse, the really good ones, their duty, you can feel that their duty is to sort of give and, and be generous. And I think in return for that, they, people want to be in their rooms. They want to be in their space. And I think that's one of the, like I said, it's a really, I think, beautiful thing. I would say it's a very beautiful thing, but it's also a little bit intimidating to talk about Clubhouse for a minute. I think the comfort level that some of these early adopters and these creators have can be intimidating to some people who aren't. And, you know, we've tested on Clubhouse and we're still trying to figure out how can we give? And maybe that's a better way for us to look at it is like, Not what conversations could we have or what could we learn, but like what potentially could we bring that's like a unique perspective and a unique point of view. But the comfort level that people have on this platform so quickly is intimidating, I think, to others. I don't know if it's intimidation. Maybe it is. I I also think that sometimes we've just gotten so complacent in the expectations of like what it means to be on either other platforms, et cetera. Like it's pretty easy to just post a photo or to post a video or to like a thing or to do what, what has quantified as engagement is we could become complacent with it in some ways, right? It's fleeting. It's fleeting yeah. It's easy. And so I think when people come on Clubhouse, they're like, and by the way, which is also why one of my biggest concerns as someone who's sort of head of content, looking at the creators and all this sort of like, It may feel like a lot because you're giving. We just said that, right? But that also means it can be exhausting. But what you have to remember is that um, the return on the investment is like far greater. 
you know, and I think that this is something that we've had to talk a lot about with um, creators. And I think that I would say that it shouldn't feel intimidating. It's very natural. I think it does because of it's new, but I think at the end of the day, like there's nothing more natural than talking. We knew how to talk long before we knew how to take photos and videos and, you know. Having been through influencer marketing and being an advisor, working on so many different brands and projects, now head of content and community at Clubhouse, what do you think is next for community? What do you think people are craving and what's on the horizon? At Clubhouse, again, not to belabor the point around group, but I think people often talk about Clubhouse in the sense that it's live or that it's audio. I think this group thing is what I always narrow on is which I sort of, like I said, try to emphasize, which is we've gotten so exhausted with all the amount of content that's everywhere. And it's because people aren't working together to, to do it, right? Like there's so many opportunities not to just like collaborate in the sense of like, when I think about like the way Instagram, et cetera, do it, they'd have like, oh, here's our partnership people. And then here's our community team. Clubhouse is like, you're in the same space. Literally when, when people come to me and they're like a, they've just started hosting rooms. How beautiful is it to then connect them to a talent and then with a brand? And it's like truly in a container that's meant to hold sort of collaborate and be collaborative space. And so when I think about what's next for community, it's that I think there will finally be like a more, it will, I don't want to call it democratic, but I think it will more accurately reflect what an interesting space to collaborate is, which is like all the people or pieces coming together, not just heavy handedly, like led by brands because they're sort of paying for the space or being, you know, influencers or dominating the space because they have the most followers. I just think it's a space where I think when you call it community led, what you're really just saying is like, it feels the the stories being told are more authentic because they came together in an authentic way where everyone was there at the beginning, not just pieces being inserted at the cadence of a, like a production or a run a show. So I don't know. I, I think that's, what's it. Like when I think about these rooms being this empty container or blank canvas, that then people kind of come together and they find their way. And then in the live space, it just feels like how it should be. And I think that that will lead like to really, that it already is. It's leading to really interesting conversations and moments where people are like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. And it's because it doesn't feel like you're just walking through an amusement park where someone is clearly telling you where to go. You go to this stop and then the path leads me here. And that's because I go here and then the path leads me here. Like, I think people are ready to break out of that. There's like a very idealistic, romantic view that you bring to community and relationships and business that I feel like it's very refreshing. I'm kind of like, I could sit here and talk to you all day. I have this like sense of calm washed over me, you know, like it's all going to be okay. And I do think it's really overwhelming. Everybody is running at trying to create an audience. And whether you're a brand or a creator, there's one goal, which is grow an audience to as big as you can so that you have the power to monetize the work that you do or sell the product that you want, which, you know, inherently somebody asked me this the other day. I don't know if this was on a podcast or an interview, but somebody said to me, you seem like a really mindful leader and you take this really incredible human first approach to everything you do. But at the end of the day, you're just selling stuff. And I had a good answer for it, which is I'd like to think that at the end of the day, whether it's to bring joy or humor or a delicious meal or a great whatever it is that the items or services or brands or people that we bring out to the world, we're trying to find tribes of those people that want those products or services that ultimately 
we're making people's lives better, more efficient, more fun. It doesn't matter what it is that they want. And that our job is to create the awareness that we exist as a product and bring it to the tribes of people that want it. And in that way, I hope I'm doing more good than harm. For me, I'm a people person. I am deeply interested and curious about the human experience and about the way people think and about the lives that we lead. And so that's where a lot of my energy and my effort goes. But it's so interesting because I think as a marketer, I'm talking about community all day with a little bit of a cynical point of view. And it's really refreshing to talk to you about it through this lens of like, be authentic, be vulnerable, show up, be curious, think about what you can give. And what a nice future the world of community has ahead if this is the, the view of it. Yeah, I mean, look, also if we're looking at the other end, less idealistic, is that there's more efficiency. There's more efficiency in this working together and the dollars that are being spent and the dollars are being spent just to hit a, a metric that doesn't fucking matter. A metric that's just like impressions, if it's not actually, and then we're just trying to make conversion on that. So just, but the brands who we've become so accustomed to sort of funding a lot of the creativity and funding a lot of the projects and, and not from a cynical way, but the truth is like brands do play an important role because every product you buy has some amount of money in it. That's like a portion of the product of this went to the marketing of it to make ads, to make campaigns. So like the money flows and so, but from my perspective, it's like, let's create an efficient use of that in a group setting and where people are actually connecting over something and want to do it, not just clicking a like. Sounds like a better idea, honestly, <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's also something about this convo that's leaving me with this feeling of like, oh, I have so much work to do. There is so much out there to go learn and to create. But I, I this idea of like co-creation and collaboration and finding a more efficient way to do all of this, I think is really inspiring. As always, my love dear. You. I love you too. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, anything for Farron and Fahrenheit. 